Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul Mini. Welcome, thanks for joining us. So for our mini episodes, we're going to be sharing stories about what we call inciting incidents. So it really is the thing, the book, movie, image, song, whatever it might have been that really got you connected to true crime and sort of on the path of being a true crime follower. For mini episode one, to kick it off and to help sort of frame what we're thinking, Kirsten and I are going to share ours and really talk about a glimpse into our history, our psyche, and what got us on the track. So, when I was seven, seven or eight, I'm not sure, we we were really poor. Like, I grew up, I'll say broke. We were broke because my parents were middle class, were fairly educated, but for reasons that belong in another podcast altogether, we were poor. <laughs> and so... I think that this was a period, you know, my memories as a child are kind of sketchy, but I think this was a period where HBO, which was pretty new at that time, I'm dating myself here majorly, but HBO was pretty new. (laughs) And I think they must have been doing one of their like free weekends where anyone could watch because we never would have had enough money to watch to have HBO Um, or like a free month. You know, they're trying to get subscriptions. So long story short, we had HBO for a period of time when I was little. And what was on heavy rotation at that time, and I mean, again, so we're talking in the early 80s, like before 8,000 channels, and you know, you had to get off your ass to change the channel, and you turned a dial and like set the scene, okay? So on heavy rotation was Death on the Nile, a movie based on the Agatha Christie novel. And, you know, again, I've dated myself, so we're not talking about like Death on the Nile with Kenneth Branagh. Like, no offense, not my favorite, but we're not talking about modern takes. We're talking about the classic 1978. So I guess we're not even in the 80s yet. We're in the 70s. Okay, yo. The 1978 classic Peter Ustinov as Poirot, which we could talk about that in more detail. Uh, Mia Farrow, star-studded cast, Death on the Nile, like the OG. And so I remember watching it and I was just obsessed with it. And I don't know if my parents weren't paying attention or their creep meter wasn't really fine-tuned, but I watched this movie all the time. Every time it was on and we got those little TV guide, you know, and it would show what was showing on HBO and I would like circle Death on the Nile and I just watched it over and over. And, you know, if you've ever seen it, It's pretty gory for the time in that, like in the climactic original death scene, the view of the gunshot on the head, like you can see the stippling and and like words I didn't even learn until I was an adult and I learned about crime scene investigation. You can see the stippling like on the head and I was just so into it. And yeah, I mean, that was just the beginning of it all because within a couple of years, I was checking out books on Jack the Ripper from the from the library and like hiding them in my bedroom so my parents wouldn't see and take them away like I didn't really care what they thought of me I just didn't want them to take them away but that was the beginning and so into it and also as an aside the beginning of my love for Angela Lansbury who is like the queen I love her so much murder (laughs) she wrote I mean, huge part of my childhood. We will eventually have an episode, like a full-blown, maybe a two-parter, all on Cabot Cove slash Murder, She Wrote. Can we? (laughs) 
Yes, I vote yes. <laughs> yeah, so that was my that was my entree, and now I mean I love Agatha Christie. You know, if I were to talk about the canon of Poirot's on celluloid, Peter Ustinov wouldn't be my go-to. I think David Suchet is like the ultimate. There will never be another. But I think the Ustinov Poirot, and there are several of them in that, like Evil Under the Sun and, Mur no, not Murder on the Orient Express, Appointment with Death, and a couple others during the 70s. I, I like him as Poirot. It's like a different, totally different take, and it's like jolly and humorous. And yeah, I just love that movie. Yeah, so turning this into a hard-hitting interview <laughs> podcast. Uh, and for the listener, we haven't really shared with each other. We wanted this to be an authentic conversation. So I just wanted to ask a, a real question. Do you think that having that as a kid, like, opened up kind of like murder mystery as an interesting subject, whether it's fiction or not? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think to this day, what still really intrigues me about it is especially these closed circle mysteries. You know, it it's the psychology of it, right? So how is this group interacting with one another? And, and what's the identity of the group as this, like, civilization aside from the rest of society? Because, you know, they're on a boat, they're away. There's definitely some xenophobic aspects to all of Christie's writings, and that comes through in the film. There's, like, the other, the Arabs that are, like, on the boat. But for the most part, it's just this group. Like, the psychology of how they, how their personalities interplay. I mean, all of that really fascinated me from a really early age. And to go on in life, when I was in college, I actually majored in psychology. And I think it was the same thing. Like, true crime and psychology, personality psychology, all kind of just so interesting to me. No, I'm so with you. And I mean, that's sort of the gem of the podcast, I think, uh, and hopefully the listeners agree, is that even if it's fictional, like, that's our thought of like, what is this inciting incident? What was the piece of media or life that was like, opened the door or led us sort of on the path that eventually leads to true crime? Yeah. And I think the interesting thing to note, too, as we talk about, you know, whether it's in the main podcast or in these um, mini episodes is that even if there wasn't an identified case that something was based on, we know that people draw from real life for things. And it was known that Agatha Christie in particular pulled little bits and details from real cases. And she was known as an expert on poisons because of her work during World War I. But, you know, she pulled a lot of the information that she used in all of her stories and her novels from actual cases that she read about. It's just not true crime in the sense that we know which specific case every story was tied to or that it was kind of taken in whole cloth. It was like little bits and pieces here and there. Totally. So should I jump over to mine? I can't wait because I really know, I, I know even less. I kind of gave you a hint of mine, but I know nothing about what you're going to say. It, it sort of started in a way... I was a child with severe night terrors and I was a sleepwalker and I don't even know. This is a glimpse into me now. Um, I guess I'm ag agnostic about ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> they could be real. And if they are real, I might have experienced them. And if they're not real, then I experienced something else. But I grew up on a farm and my house was so creepy <laughs> And I really think that was kind of the start. So, like, 
being so afraid as a little kid like drew me into like scarier things like even like goosebumps as a kid I know a bunch of people love goosebumps especially in my era but um like probably my favorite movie as a kid was this movie called the Canterville Ghost if I want to pretend like lie I oh yes I I always do that this was an Oscar Wilde short story (laughs) but that's not the case it was a weird VHS tape that my mom recorded off of the television, and I was obsessed. I should do more research. It's, um... I'm Googling it right now. It's been made a ton. So I don't know which one I was obsessed with. Uh, It was black and white, and a super, super simple synopsis. This American family moves to England. It's like a sister, twin brothers, um, and they have this housekeeper named Mrs. Umney. (laughs) And they're kind of in this, like, mansion, and there's a ghost, is what they're told. But they don't believe in ghosts. Eventually they will. They meet this ghost named Sir Simon. And you learn this whole, like, really messed up story. So, like, the plot is that he murdered his wife, and his wife's brothers walled him up in the house to kill him. So he eventually died, I guess, of starvation in the wall. And again, you have to think... I am watching this as, like, a six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, my favorite movie, The Canterville Ghost. Putting, like, my two VHS tapes that I alternated was, like, The Canterville Ghost and Paula Abdul dancing with DJ Scat Cat. <laughs> that actually makes a weird kind of sense. <laughs> and then not to spoil the whole movie, but you find out that he's actually innocent of the crime. And so he's been cursed, and he has to have someone... Help set him free. Like, someone has to cry for him. Someone has to forgive him. And they have to, like, accompany him to the angel of death to eventually be freed from his torment. And so, obsessed with it. And then, in 96, a new version came out with Patrick Stewart and Nev Campbell. And so now I had two versions of (laughs) The Canterville Ghost on VHS. I'd be like, oh, we're watching this? We're watching this? And so, sort of in the same way as Death on the Nile, I don't know why my parents... Like, it wasn't scary, but also that's, like, heavy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so that, like, really opened it up to where eventually I read um, Portrait of a Killer by Patricia Cornwall about Jack the Ripper, which is more fiction than true, even though it's supposedly nonfiction. And then eventually it led me to... um, Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, which was, like, my hardcore pivot into true crime. But I really do think it, my spooky childhood, like, led me to the Canterville Ghost in that way. But I really do think that that sort of plot, that understanding, and especially at such a young age, like, set me on the path of, like, murders and crimes of passion. And um, it just really (laughs) sent it on. So I'd have to ask my mom to know... (laughs) her views of that being my favorite movie as a child but um I think that's the one that really set me going on my course I mean I'm glad that in spite of our great generational divide between us that 15 years later people were still neglecting their kids and (laughs) and children were able to consume this really disturbing content because you know we know this is not the case today I mean 
my kids get banished from anything that's like even quasi violent. It's like, oh, you punched your sister. You can't watch Ninjago, you know. And when we were kids, it was kind of just like, all right, whatever, you know, like knock yourself out. Free HBO. I mean, I'm sure there was all kinds of inappropriate stuff on there. <laughs> when growing up on the farm, I got some real hard life lessons as oh a child. Oh my gosh, is that your tagline? Growing up on the farm, I got some real hard life lessons. <laughs> uh, we might cut this out. Listener, you'll find out if we do or don't. <laughs> no, I, I, th- I voted stays in all of this. I had my favorite cow, and her name was Curly. And I would, she had a curly hair between her eyes, and I would, like, ride her sometimes, and I would pet her. And I don't know how old I was, like probably around the same zone, like six, maybe. And I w- we were like having dinner and I was like, Dad, I haven't seen Curly in a while. Well, I was probably like, Dad, I hadn't seen Curly in a while. <laughs> and um, and so we're just sitting there and he's like, well, yeah, you're eating her. Uh... And I was like, what? Come again, <laughs> sir? <laughs> And then he, like, took me to the freezer and opened it up, and it was, like, all the butcher-wrapped meat. And he's like, we live on a farm. Our animals are how we live. They give us our food to eat and live. And so, I mean, six. Like, and I'm not a vegetarian, so, again, someone can analyze what that means about (laughs) me. Um, But, yeah, so I guess in that sense, like, the Canterville ghost wasn't that bad. (laughs) You know what's crazy? We joke about how we're the same person and we have so much in common, but I actually have a farm trauma story as well. I was about, I I was even younger. I was like four because I don't remember it. I only know this through stories from my mom, but apparently we didn't live on a farm, but my aunt and uncle had a farm. And so we went there every weekend and I had a favorite pig and I don't remember the pig's name. I don't remember the pig. But one day I had been out playing, like, again, like, totally unsupervised in the 70s on a farm with lots of, like, farm machinery and rattlesnakes and whatever. Um, And I came in from playing and there was a pig head on the countertop and I, like, freaked out. I lost my shit and it was my friend, the pig, and I was like, you know, in whatever a four-year-old says to express this but basically like what the fuck is going on here and my aunt was making head cheese I mean you know they had slaughtered the pig and like probably sent the carcass I I don't know I don't know the right term for a body that's going to become food but the carcass the body to the butcher to be butchered they they killed them on the farm but didn't butcher them so the the body had left but the head like we got to keep the good stuff to do in-house and yeah my aunt was making head cheese and I was just like oh we are the same person right well yeah when I was little I like wanted so badly to have the job of carrying the dead chicken after they cut its head off and like finally somebody let me do it and of course it weighed too much for me to carry chickens are heavy FYI um oh my god yeah we are the same person I wonder I wonder why we like true crime (laughs) we revealed too much yeah I, I think at the end of however this podcast goes it's gonna end with like a real psychological profile of the two of us <laughs> that's okay but we want to hear from you we want to hear what 
like weird, creepy shit happened that got you into true crime and got you into like the dark side of humanity. Yeah, listener, please send us in your story. It's just so fascinating. And hopefully hearing our stories, uh, you realize you don't need to be intimidated (laughs) if you feel like you're not a great writer or if your story's weird. But we would just love to hear it and we'll read it out on uh, future mini episodes. Yes. And with that, uh, we appreciate the hell out of you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Most Foul. If you've got a tip for a future episode topic or want to send us your own inciting incident for a mini episode, visit our website at mostfoulpod.com and write in. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode. Never miss a foul detail. Follow us at mostfoulpod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Facts from Janet production.